The human mind is absolutely amazing. God created us with this ability to think and react and and to memorize and to calculate and to even project into the future. Where we have this ability to meditate and to uh, to quiet ourselves, to to uh, have different reactions to different things that come our way. He he's given us this uh, ability to philosophize or to think deeply about things. It is an amazing thing what happens in our mind, but the problem becomes when we when we become reliant on our own thinking when we start to become complacent with our own wisdom when we when we somehow think that what is up here is enough for who we need to become in life like like for example uh, I don't know if you've ever been told like you're a genius like or like somebody's ever said like you're really smart you're like incredibly smart you're like an intellectual giant I mean that happens to me all the time it's a struggle sometimes people just can't constantly say that kind of thing about me Okay, no, they don't. But 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 you get the idea. Like whenever you're thought of as an expert, like you think about the marketplace or the courts, right? When when somebody calls you in as an expert, it makes you feel really good about yourself. Like like you're like super duper important. Well, we're about ready to enter a brand new series called the Tupperware Gospel, and it's going to be a study through the book called Colossians in the New Testament part of the Bible. And and the way I want to approach this is sort of like an old school series. I want to uh, I want to pick it apart a little bit. I want to dive deep and find out a little bit of the background to help us understand what this was really all about. And one of the first things we're going to need to learn about this little book is that it was written to fight this idea that was growing inside of the church. Uh, the church had begun to adopt this philosophy called Gnosticism. I don't know if you remember that little phrase from high school, but Gnosticism is this spiritual practice where where they think you can relate to God through the mind only, that it's completely intellectual, especially this idea of this hidden knowledge or this mysterious sort of knowledge. You would think of it like a modern day psychic, right? Where, where somehow you have this special insight to God, and that is what determines your relationship with God. Not this thing called faith, but only knowledge. And the people of the Church of Colossae started to adopt this philosophy, and and they became more and more religious. And here's what I mean by that. They started to think that that their relationship with God could be found in certain practices or uh, certain rituals or certain sacrifices. And they they started to make a huge emphasis on, on the religious aspect of holy days. And here's what they did. They made a big religion and they devalued Jesus. So they made a big religion and a small Jesus. And the book of Colossians was designed to fight that. It was designed to say, no, 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 no. It is meant to be a small religion and a big Jesus. It's meant to be, hey, listen, religion is is good and religion can keep you in, in right places at times. But, but the relationship with God is not found in the things that you do. It's found in a relationship in your heart with Jesus. Now, what's interesting is the book of Colossians was written by a guy named Paul. Um, Paul was, uh, let me, let me give you a little background on Paul. Paul was this uh, man who was uh, raised in the Jewish faith, and and he rose to the very top of the Jewish faith. He was a Pharisee, uh, which meant that that not only was he like the pastor of the Jewish people, but but he was also a politically powerful person because the Pharisees uh, were the rulers over the people of Israel, uh, and, and so Paul uh, was one of these. 
Pharisees, and he had incredible religious passion, so much so when he saw the, the church of Jesus starting to rise, when he saw the Christian church starting to rise, he goes to the Pharisees, to the council that ruled over Israel next to Rome or underneath the Rome. He, he asked this, this group of Pharisees to give him the authority to stamp out the Christian church. He asked them for the authority to literally kill Christians, and he's granted this authority. And so he makes it his life mission to to destroy the Christian church. And so he goes all over the known Roman world, starting to kill Christians, starting to stamp out the Christian faith. And on one of these trips to go destroy the Christian church, something crazy happens to Paul. He becomes a Christian. And this is an incredible thing to me because this is one of the reasons I believe the Bible to be true because when a guy like Paul who absolutely hates all things Jesus becomes a Jesus follower, and I'm not sure what that all looked like, but it's described that he has this moment where he literally gets this vision from Jesus. Jesus himself appears to Paul and it changes Paul's whole life. And now instead of going out trying to stamp out the Christian faith, Paul literally goes around the world trying to convince the world that Jesus is the true God, that Jesus is the only way to God the Father, and that salvation can only be found in Jesus. And so what do we learn about Paul? We learn that he ends up going around the world to plant churches, to start these little churches, much like we started our church 15 years ago. Um, he, He starts churches in the city of Ephesus, which became known as the Ephesian church, right? Or Philippi, which became known as the Philippian church. And we see these names in the Bible. Now, when we read these names in the Bible, uh, we often think that they're just this far away make-believe world, but these are real cities. I want to show you a couple maps because I want you to get an understanding of what the world looked like. Like, So you see the whole Roman world here, and, and if you go into the area of what is now called modern-day Turkey, you will see some names that you recognize, like the Church of Laodicea. You will see the Church of uh, Philadelphia. You'll see the Church of, of the Ephesians or Ephesus, or you'll see the Philippines. Church, but you'll also see this church called the Colossian Church or the city of Colossae. And what's really interesting is that Paul never even visited the church of the Colossians. He never visited the city of Colossae. Um, The church that grew up in the city of Colossae was a plant of another church. It was started off of another church that Paul started, but they were still Paul's church. Uh, Paul was still their pastor. He still loved them and they loved him. Well, after many years of starting these churches and trying to grow these churches, Paul was eventually arrested by Rome. They put him in prison. And and, and one of the things that made Paul's prison time interesting, he was placed under what they called house arrest. He was given some freedom. And so uh, he was able to have visitors come and go. He was able to get news. Uh, It was an interesting sort of an arrest. And he was awaiting a trial in front of Caesar himself. And one of the interesting things while Paul was awaiting his trial was that he got a visit from a friend named Epaphras. And Epaphras brought him news that the church in Colossae was starting to go crazy. They were starting to emphasize a big religion and a small Jesus. And Paul hears this news and he goes, no way, this can't happen. The only way to God is through this thing called faith in Jesus. Now, of course, we need to understand it. Of course, we need to have our minds around it. We need to we need to grow in our knowledge of Christ, all those sorts of things. So after hearing this, Paul 
uh, begins to you know stir in his soul, and he and he and he decides to write them a letter. So he whips out his pen and paper, he gets out his laptop, and he starts typing away uh, to this church of Colossae, right? And and he writes what we know as the book of Colossians to them, and and he's trying to say, you guys are getting it wrong. You're emphasizing the wrong thing. You're you're making a big religion and a small Jesus, and that's got to be reversed. He says we got to have a big faith in Jesus and a small religion. We got to make sure that our hearts are drawn to God, not just our minds, but our hearts. It just it can't be only an intellectual relationship with God, but it has to be a love relationship with him as well. And so he writes this book of Colossians, which many Christian scholars think is perhaps the most important book in all of the Bible outside of the four Gospels. It is so important to help us understand. And so as Paul begins to write, he gets around two words two simple words, and that's what we're going to talk about today. Well, I'm super glad that you're here, especially if you are joining us at our video campus. We especially welcome you guys. Uh, We don't do this every week, but um, as we begin this new series, I think it might be entirely appropriate for us to humble ourselves before God, and I would invite you, uh, no matter who you are and uh, where you are with this thing called faith, I'm going to invite you to do something a little bit strange, maybe even a little bit awkward. I would love at both campuses uh, for us to get on our knees, and I'm going to open up in prayer, just asking God, humbly asking God uh, to speak to us. So I know if you're able to, if you're older and maybe can't do that, that's cool with us. Uh, But just as an act of humility before God, we're just going to bow before him, okay? Let me lead us in prayer. Father, um, nobody in this room, nobody on video, nobody online needs to hear from me. Uh, We need to hear from you. And God, as we open your word together, as we begin to study your word, I pray that the power of your Holy Spirit would come and visit with us. God, that the power of your Holy Spirit would be made real in our lives right now. Even for our guests, even for those who might just be investigating this thing called Christianity. I pray, God, that you would give eyes to see and ears to hear. Speak, oh God, for your child is listening. And God's children say, amen, amen. Amen. So as we begin this brand new series in the book of Colossians, uh, if you have a Bible or a smartphone, I would invite you to uh, find the book of Colossians. It's about in the middle of the New Testament book of the, or the part of the Bible. And uh, now what's interesting is that we often think of the Bible as these books, but in the New Testament, this is kind of the summary of the introduction to Colossians. The main thing that you got to know is that Paul, their pastor, was writing to them a letter. He, he cared for this little church. He loved this little church. And he saw the little church getting crazy. Like sometimes I see this little church getting crazy sometimes. And so he writes them this letter. Now I want you to think about this. It would be like, let's just pretend for a moment that you really love your pastor. Let's just pretend. Okay, Uh, let's pretend that I haven't been here for a while, but I'm still uh, trying to lead our church and to shepherd our church. And you're listening to podcasts or you're dialing in via video. Uh, But but finally, I write this very personal letter to you and the elders of the church, the leaders of the church were to gather the troops together and say, "Hey, hey, we got a special letter from our pastor. That would be like 
this. This is what was happening. They, they heard that Paul, their beloved pastor, wrote them this letter and they were so excited. So can you imagine when, when communication was so rare in this day, could you imagine just how excited they were uh, to, to receive this letter uh, in this little town of Colossae? It was a mid-sized town, and they received this letter with such joy. And Paul's letter could really be summed up in two very simple words, two words that change everything about faith. It changes the entire God-man relationship. Just two words. You ready? In you. In you. You, you see, everything in the whole faith experience from, uh, from, from the very beginning of creation up to the time of Jesus, it was a different set of two words. It was a, a little phrase that would be with you because God was with all the people of faith. God was with the saints that were before Jesus. And when you think about this, God was with Moses. God was with Abraham. God was with David, he was with the people of Israel. He, he, was, he was with them in the temple. He was with them in the wilderness. He was with them when they went into battle. He was, he was with them by a, a cloud by day and by a pillar by night. He was, he was with them. And then when Jesus, of course, came and visited earth, when he came as a man, when God became flesh and made his dwelling among us, they gave him a name. And that name was called Emmanuel, which means what? What did it mean? It means God is with us. And so this was the story of the God-man relationship. It was God was with us. And Christ uh, begins to change all of this. And Paul begins to write and to explain that when, when Christ died, like we celebrated last week, when, when Christ rose from the grave, when we celebrated last week, right? When, when that happened, the entire God-man relationship shifted. Paul begins to write that there's a new set of words that de describe your relationship with God. No longer is it just God with you. That's good. And God is with you. That's big. God is with you. But he says it gets way, way better than that. He now says not only is God with you, but the spirit of God. Listen, friends, especially if you're new to this Christian faith thing, you need to understand how this works. That the spirit of God is no longer just with you, but he is in you. He takes up residence inside of you. He, he becomes who you are. He, he indwells your soul and it begins to change everything. So no longer is it just like 12 guys following Jesus around in the wilderness, they get the big stuff. You know, a lot of times I hear this and, and I get this, people say all the time, they say, well, if I could have just lived 2,000 years ago, it's a bummer that I live in Detroit in 2017 because if I could go see him, if I could go watch him do what he did, it would be really awesome and it would explode my faith. Everything would be different. And Jesus says, no, 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 that's not true. It's better than that because when, when he died and when he rose from the grave and just before he made his final ascension toward the heavens, it says that he looks and he says, I am sending somebody new to you. I'm sending something different to you, something better than just with you, I'm going to send the Spirit of God to take up residence where? In you. In you. And the game begins to change. And so I want to throw this little thought around because I think it's a big thought and this book kind of lands on this thought. And, and the thought is this, that, that the Christian life, see what you think about this, the Christian life is not just difficult, the Christian life is is nearly impossible to live. And, and it's true, isn't it? 
When we start to think about what we're responsible for, and we start to think about this life that Christ has lived for us and the example he gave and what he's called us to, we start to get our minds around this. We go, I can't live that because I'm not so sure that I can be perfect all the time, that I can do it right all the time, that I can treat people with love and grace and dignity and hope and gentleness all the time. I can't always resist temptation that there are things that come and I'm like, oh, I know I shouldn't, but I do anyways, right? And so we know this to be true of us, that it is on our own strength, in our own ability, it is impossible to live this Christian life out. And I, I remember, I don't know about you, but I found myself just a couple years into my uh, Christian journey figuring this thing out that, uh, and, and figuring out that I, I just can't do this on my own. There's just no way. And there was a struggle, and I don't know if you've ever been there, like, I don't know that I could actually live out what Christ is calling me to. I know I want to. Anybody? I know I want to. I just can't. And friends, I believe um, even now there are some of you in this very room that you're still standing on the fringes of this thing called the Christian faith and there's a whole bunch of you that's drawn to this. There's a whole bunch in you that's saying, I want this for my life. But you're purposely standing on the edges. You're purposely not engaging it. You're purposely not giving it your whole heart because you know that in your own strength, that you know who you are and you know that you can't live this out. And frankly, you don't want to be a hypocrite. And so you say, why should I even try? I mean, I hear what the preacher's saying and I want some of that. I can read it in the Bible and I want some of that. But why should I even try if I'm just going to end up being a hypocrite? Well, I got great news for you. From this little letter to the Colossian church, God is not asking you to do what he already knows that you cannot do. Hello. God is not calling you to do what he knows that you cannot ever do on your own. He's not calling you or pushing you towards something where you're just going to end up being a failure and being miserable. It's not like God is up there going, woo, look at that, you failed, I knew you were, ha ha. He doesn't set us up for failure. He changes the game. And he says, you're right, you cannot do it on your own, but I'm going to do something in you that you cannot do for yourself. I'm gonna help you in a way that you cannot help yourself, and I'm gonna call you to levels that you cannot go on your own. I am going to not only be with you, but here's the deal, I am going to be in you. And he changes everything. Now listen, friends, and it comes from one key verse, and we're gonna go through this entire book, and we're gonna spend several months, I think, in this book, if that's okay with you. We are going to go deep into this book because I think this is so much uh, in here for living out the Christian life for us. But I think it's all centered around one little verse, and it's found in the book of Colossians, chapter one, verse 27. So if you got your little smartphone, go over to verse 27. Chapter one, verse 27, listen to these words. To them, now listen, listen. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery. So in other words, this whole idea of the God-man relationship, it has a mystery to it. And you know that, I know that. Everybody in this room knows that you can't figure this whole God-man thing out. There's a part of you that's drawn to it, but you're going, I still can't wrap my mind, my heart, my soul, my life all the way around it. There's a mystery to it. And he says, I'm going to reveal the mystery to you. Here it is. Here's what settles the God-man relationship. You ready? He says, the mystery is this, which is Christ, say these two words, in you. Woo! It's Christ in you, and that's the hope of glory. And that's the hope of anything good in your life. That's the hope of you becoming all that God's called you to become. That's the hope of, of moving forward in your life. That's the hope of, be, of, of shaping of anything that is good and glorious and holy inside of you. 
You see, this whole idea uh, that the Christian life can be lived apart from Christ in you, God says it's never going to work. The only way that this whole thing is going to work is Christ in you. And notice he doesn't say uh, it's going to work if it's like Christ and you. That's the hope of glory. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say uh, you and Jesus make some sort of good team and so that's going to work. That's going to be the hope of your glory. He doesn't say it's Christ even with you that's the hope of glory. He doesn't say that Christ watching over you is the hope of glory. Uh, protecting you is the hope of glory. Comforting you is the hope of glory. Guiding you is the hope of glory. He says it is way bigger and way better and way better and way, way more important than that that Christ is in you because that is the hope of anything glorious in your life. And I don't know, but I think we need to just pause for one moment and we need to ask ourselves this question. Every single person, even here live and on our video campuses, listen, we need to ask this question. What are you banking on for anything good in your life? What, What are you banking on to take you from where you are now to where you need to go? What, what's your hope of anything good? What's your hope of anything glorious in your life? What what is your hope of being shaped by God? What is your hope of becoming all that God wants you to become? What's your hope of of feeling better about who you are and better about who you're becoming in this world? What's the answer? Because, you know, the world has answers for this. You know this, right? You can just go to the bookstore and, like, you can see right on the rack and it's got, like, 19 different titles that are all about a new you. Like, a new you in six weeks and it is the hope of your glory. Like, you suck now and I'm going to make you better in four days. Right? For $49.95 plus $10 shipping and handling, you have a new hope of glory. You can get a new you in, you know what I'm talking about? Like, if you, if you just lose 20 pounds with my plan... There's a new you waiting. There's a whole brand new. That's the hope of your glory. If you, if you just somehow read my book or just listen to my podcast, it is the hope of glory for you. It is the hope of a new you. If you wear my power tie, it's the hope of anything good in your life. And you see this all the time in the marketplace, don't you? I mean, everybody is selling everything to you. And the problem is that even though a whole bunch of it is, is good, the problem is, is that it's all external modifications. And what do we know about external modifications, friends? It doesn't matter if you change your style because style is going to change anyways. And you can lose 10 now, but you gain 20 later. Let's just be honest. Listen, all those things are good but they are external modifications that simply don't last. And God comes and says, there is no hope for glory in that. The only hope that you have is an internal transformation, not an external modification. Anybody? You hear me, friends? And so the world, as I, as I look at this and I think about this, the world has all kinds of hope for your glory. They say, if you simply get something done to you, And you fill in the blank because I'm not going to go there. But if you get something done to you, that's going to be the hope of your glory. Or if you you simply have someone with you, that is your hope of glory. It's, It's all about the relationships that you have. You have to have something completed in your life. You have to accomplish something in your life in order for you to have this hope of glory. You have to have the right circumstances with you or around you uh, to, to really uh, be who all that you're supposed to be. You have to somehow improve the view of you. You've got to somehow uh, have something said about you. You've got to have a position or a title.
title bestowed upon you to feel good about yourself. You have to have uh, more things that you own in this life to somehow ar- arrive at this completeness, this fulfillment uh, factor that you, that you want to have, uh, that you have to be complete by these accomplishments or this stack of, of stuff on your resume. You, you, that's the world we live in. And listen, all of those things are good and fine, but the problem is, is that they're all external modifications and you still battle the inward soul. You still struggle somewhere deep inside of you. The animal still rages, the, the demon still rages. There's something still broken on the inside no matter how much you fulfill the outside. Pause. Am I right? It's true. It's true of you. And it is true of me every single time. Yep, it is important to work on those outside things. But if we don't get the inside right, it just doesn't last. It just doesn't go very far. And God comes along and he says, I'm offering me to you. Literally, I'm offering Christ in you. I'm offering you a new ticket, a new hope. Uh, and that's the message uh, to the church of Colossian, uh, Colossae, and that is the message to us that the living Christ, the living Son of God, the resurrected one, his power, his authority, his hope can now come and take up residence inside of you if you come to him in faith. Not just in knowledge, but if you come to him in faith. And it gets even better than this. Like, so this whole idea that, that Christ is in you, but, but it gets even better than this. Matter of fact, when they open the book of Colossians, Paul writes this little verse that oftentimes we kind of skip over like the little hellos, how are you, hope you're doing well. But he makes a little statement in this opening part of this book, the very first verse or two of this book that really should rack our minds a little bit. It should go, whoa, that's good news right there. Whoa, I like to be in that kind of church because this is what he said. At the very beginning, he says, this is who I'm writing to. He says, to the holy and faithful brothers, pause, we could probably say sisters too, all right? He's, he's writing to the brotherhood here. He's saying to the Christians, right, who are, who are what? What does, this, what does it say? In Christ. But didn't it say Christ was in you? But now he's like doing a double whammy. This is like a double dip on your tortilla, right? This is amazing. He says, it is Christ in you, but now you are in Christ at Colossae, at the church, right? So Paul is saying, this is, this is really good news. Christ has been put inside of you, but he's also, you are inside of him. That, that it's, God has put Christ, put, put Christ inside of us and us inside of Christ. And I think that's a pretty happening thing. I think that's a pretty good news thing. It's like a love sandwich going on there, Right? <laughs> And when you begin to lock on to that, when you begin to understand that who, your, what your relationship with God looks like, that it is in you and outside of you, it is in you and with you, that it is driving you and protecting you and hopeful, uh, giving you hope, giving you leadership, when, it, when it's doing all this, it begins to change your future. You hear me? It begins to set a new direction in you. Those same things that we've always struggled with, they become less and less and less in our life because he becomes more and more. He can't help but become more because he's in you and he's around you, he's all over you. This is the relationship with, that we have with, with, with God through, through Christ. It's not just an external modification. It is an internal transformation. Amen. 
So I just want to, we're going to cheat a little bit. It's like fast forwarding to the end of the movie. I'm just going to skip a couple chapters. I just want to read this one little verse to you because, so you got this whole idea that Christ is in you and you are in Christ, but, but it gets even way bigger and way better than that because it says that when, when you and I, if, if this is you, but if you come to faith, that you actually participate. This is gonna blow your mind. It says that you participate in the death and the resurrection of Jesus. That there is a spiritual relationship that you have with Christ. There is this transforming relationship and the death that he dies is the death that you die and the resurrection he, he rises or lives is the resurrection that, that you live. And this is pretty good news. So let me just skip forward a couple of chapters here and we're gonna go to Colossians chapter three. And I just wanna read a couple of verses because this is like really big. This is really, really good news. He says this. He says, since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above. So since you're like sandwiched with Christ, you're raised in Christ, now your heart can start looking toward different things. Woo, that's really good. That's powerful. Because up until this point in our life, we're like going, all I can see is the sin around me. All I can see is the junk around me. All I know is the inner demons inside of me. And he's saying, I don't need to look there anymore. Come on, is that all you all got? He says, there's something else you can look toward somewhere else that you're heading in life. So he says this, he says, since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts now on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things of what? Above, not on earthly things, for you died, and here it is, and your life is now hidden with Christ, where? In God. Did you hear this? That, That you are in Christ, and Christ is in you, but the whole sandwich is in God. The whole deal moves and it takes it to a whole different level because of your relationship with Christ, you now have a relationship with your father in heaven. That's good news. It's like a two for one deal, it really is. And so here's what I'd like to do, if it's okay with you, I'm just gonna uh, try to illustrate this uh, by Tupperware. And I don't know if this is gonna work, but I'm banking the whole series on this, okay? Uh, but, but, but I think this, you know, just go with this, because uh, here, here's what we need to understand is that um, God uh, created you, so this is you, this is you. Now, it may not be a perfect representation of you, you might be a little shorter, a little fatter, a little taller, I don't really know, but let's just say this is, this is you, right? And, and it says something about you and me. And I think you know this to be true. But the scripture says about you and me that, that we're born into this thing called sin. I don't know if you've heard this story or not, but, but we, when we come into this world, we have sin that we walked right into that. It actually records this story from the scriptures about this, the very first couple named Adam and Eve. Have you heard of them? Have you? But do you understand the whole deal went on there? It was like they fell head first. It was like they fell off the face of the earth. And it says that because of Adam and Eve and all of their sin, it was just simply passed on all the way through. So your grand, grand, granddaddy's granddaddy's granddaddy passed it on to you. It just comes right through them. And you are born into a less than perfect family. Anybody ever figure that out? Anybody? And so, so it says that we are born into this world of sin, that there is sin everywhere in our world. And so what we're gonna do is we're gonna go ahead and let's just be honest with the whole deal because it says that sin is everywhere in our world. We have a broken world. You can't go one day without running into sin. You cannot run one day without temptation in your life. Anybody ever feel temptation in your life? Then you know exactly what I'm talking about. It is every single place around us. We live in an evil world. We live in a fallen world. We live in a broken 
world. But it says that, the, 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 the scripture says something that's even, if this doesn't make you feel bad and hopeless, it says it's worse than that. It, it says, it, it's not only worse than that because it, it says that not only were you born into a world full of sin, but that you were born with sin in you. Oh, I don't know about that, Jay. No, 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 it's true. When you look at your like little baby girl, your baby guy, and you're like, going, oh, he's so perfect. He is not so perfect. Just give it time, Right? Just give it time. It's true because what happens is this, is that you don't, they call it the terrible twos for a reason, right? You don't have to teach them to demand, to be selfish, to be self-absorbed. They, they do not need to be taught how to lie. It comes by naturally, right? They just come into it because why? Not only are they born in a world full of sin, but they are born with a world full of sin in them. And so the Tupperware gospel has to do something else. Like we got to yank you out of sin and it's going to get way worse because we're going to put sin in you. Ooh, ooh, not good. And so there's us right there. There's us and we got sin in us and we are living in a world full of sin. This is a very bad picture of our future. Because I think all of us in this room understand that this leads nowhere good in our life. If we were to be honest and pull back a little bit, we understand that the sin that drives us and the sin that is around us, it leads nowhere good in our lives. You don't have to be a Christian to realize this. You do not have to be a Christian to realize that the world is broken. And this is the world we live in. But, but the gospel is so much bigger than this. The Tupperware gospel is, is so much bigger. Listen, so it says, it says that, that Christ became flesh and made his dwelling among us, with us. And that's pretty good news, right? It begins to shape us a little bit differently, so we're gonna go crazy here. And that's what I'm talking about. So Christ is like there and, and he comes and he says, I am with you, I am around you and I'm gonna begin to make your world better. And this is the problem with so many of us in this room because we stop right here, we go, oh, oh, I like Jesus. He's nice, it's good. I love singing those songs. And so we, what, what, what we do is we put Jesus around us like this little blanket and go, oh, dear Jesus, protect us. Dear Jesus, help us. Dear Jesus, guide us. Dear Jesus, comfort us. And we live somewhere, somewhere in here. When Christ is making it better, there's a hope out there somewhere. There's leadership out there somewhere. But this is not the entirety of the gospel. Because what, what, what's the problem? Do you, we're, you're in there, but you're still buried in what? Sin. And sin is in you. And you can't escape it. And so all this is is an external modification. All this is is like, oh, I better be good. So I got to go to church this weekend. Oh, I better be good. I got to give a little bit this weekend. Oh, I should serve somewhere in order to somehow make this external modification real in my life. But the problem is that, that the Christian faith is driven internally. Do you hear this, friends? That it's all about an internal modification. And so the scripture says, the Tupperware gospel says, the gospel of Christ, the Christian faith says that this is not enough. This is just a big religion with a little Jesus. But, the, but Jesus has to do something different inside of us. And so <laughs> the scripture comes along and you're gonna love this. It says Christ is, what does it say earlier? It says Christ is in us. Now, now there's this passage in the book of Colossians chapter one 
I think it's 13 and 14. It talks about this kingdom transformation. Look at this, look at this. this. It says, for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and has brought us into the kingdom of, of the son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. It's not just an external thing. It is an internal modification that happens. It is an internal transformation that happens. You see in this, friends, that it is like, like you got a call, like you're working for a company and you get a call and you're like, hey, you're being transferred to Nashville. It's like you're out of here and over there. There is a new thing that happens. You see, the, the, the Christian faith describes this idea that, that sin isn't just doing bad. Do you, you know your problem and my problem? It's not just that we do bad things. We gotta, we gotta erase that thought altogether. The problem is that sin doesn't make us do bad things. Sin makes us dead. The problem is that we're, our soul is not alive. The problem is that our heart's beating, but our heart is not full. Our, our, our lungs are breathing, but we're not breathing the breath of God. So you see, our problem is not that we're bad. Our problem is that we're dead. And our soul needs revival. Our soul needs change. Our soul needs rebirth. And so this is the gospel that it says that Christ comes and he takes us from one kingdom to another kingdom and he, he does something with our sin. It says that he, he, he just looks at it and winks. No, he deals with it straight on. And he says, I forgive it. He says, I forgive it. And so what we're gonna do, if it's okay with you, we're just gonna rip the lid off of this. We're gonna rip you out of sin because sin has had enough stranglehold in your life. And so we don't want this anymore. That's ridiculous. And so we got this going on right here. We got, we got sin in you, but Christ wants to live in you. And you're going, there's not room for both of you in there. I can't get the lid on. And so something's gotta go. And he goes. Right, and then there's a new life that is given to you. And so it says that Christ comes and he takes up residence inside of you. This is the Tupperware gospel, friends, that he is now living in you. And so Christ is now in you and he's given you a new start, a new life, a new transformation on the inside so that you no longer live with this, with this worldview that wants more and more and more of sin, but yet now you place your eyes on things that are, what do we read, above it begins to change us. And slowly, because of Christ in us, the world around us starts to change. And now, look at this. Well, this is sitting pretty because we are now with Christ in us and Christ around us, and he begins to change our minds. He begins to change our hearts, our souls. But this is good news. Like, you're going, Jay, that's good news. Say that's good news right there because that's good news. But this isn't the only good news. It gets way better than this because didn't we just read a few moments ago that it says when we identify with Christ through this thing called faith that we're buried with him but now we're raised to new life with him and it says that Christ is with God he's in God and who are you with you're with Christ and so Christ is with God and in God guess where you're at you're with God let's bring out the granddaddy of it all look at that bad boy this is where it ends up because it says that when, when Christ comes in us, that we become in God because of what Christ has done with us. And so right there is like a love fest right there. This is like a picnic with sandwich with love right there. This is, this is, a, this is you right here. This is you cruising down I-75 right there. Right there. This is, this is what Christ has done for you. Do you realize what he has done for you. 
because we're found in Christ, it says that we have a new start. It says that we have in Christ, that we have all that God wants for us. It says in Christ, all of this changes that we are now in a big God who, who's around us and has captured us and he's in us and he's outside of us. He is becoming our worldview. He's becoming everything to us. He changes us from the inside out. And I've read in the Bible, I've read in the Bible that in Christ, you are loved by God. I've read in the Bible that in Christ, you've been completely forgiven. In Christ, in there, right there, because you're in there, there's you. I see you in there because you're in there somewhere. It says because of that, you have all the spiritual blessings of God. That it all comes flooding into your life. All the goodness. In Christ, you have been chosen to be set apart from the things of this world. You've been set apart for God. In Christ, you've died to the power of sin. In Christ, you've been delivered from darkness. In Christ, you've been transferred from, from one kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. You get what, this is because you're in, in there. This is what happens when you're in there. That in Christ, um, you were bought. Listen, you were bought, you were purchased, you were paid for in Christ. You were brought toward this thing called heaven that, the, that there is uh, because of what has been paid for you. That in Christ, it says that you were made complete. It says in Christ, you become the righteousness of God. It says in Christ that you possess the spirit of God. It says in Christ that you've been freed from your sin. It says that in Christ, you've been separated from all the things that kept you from God. In Christ, you now have the mind of God. In Christ, you have the access to the power of God in your life. In Christ, it says that you've been given a new family it says in Christ that you've been adopted as sons. It says in Christ you've been adopted as daughters. Everything changes. Listen, when you get your bad self in the middle of all of this, that's when it changes. And friends, this is the only hope of glory. I don't know what you've been banking on all of these years. But my guess is that you have been around long enough to figure out that you can't fig, uh, figure yourself out. My guess is that you can't fix you, otherwise you would have already fixed you. You wouldn't be struggling with the same arguments, the same fights, the same hostility, the same anger, the same lust, the same greed, the same hopelessness, the same desperation, the same disappointment, the same, uh, the same anxiety, the same depression. It would be different. If you find yourself in there, and I don't exactly know, this is like a very human picture of this, right? Because I don't exactly know how it works. I don't. All I know is that there is this description of a man who was dead being brought alive because of what Christ is doing inside of him. It always starts on the inside and works its way to the outside. <laughs> Good thing. Good thing. So, friends, um, over the next several weeks, uh, we're gonna we're gonna figure out what this life in Christ looks like. What does it mean to live in there? What does it mean to go from one kingdom to the other? And I hope that you'll join me, because God does not want us to live down here. Amen. He just doesn't. All right. Amen. Amen. <laughs> um, would it be okay if I just let us into prayer tonight? Um, let me just lead us. Uh, I think we need to do this. So thank you, God, um, 
for being so relentless and for coming after us, uh, for choosing to love us even when we are so unlovable, for choosing to reach toward us, for calling us heavenward. And God, um, I know that there are those in this room who are, I don't really know why they're here. They're just here because. I pray, God, that your spirit would somehow speak to them. God, may, may your love uh, become real and a necessity in their life. May, may they see the need for grace and forgiveness that can only come from you, their creator. I pray, God, that over the next several weeks as a church that you would take us somewhere new. God, that you would elevate our game, that you would turn our hearts heavenward. Even in this room right now, how many of you would say, just by raising your hand real quick, I need something to change in my heart right now. I need something to grow inside of me, something good inside of me. I need it to grow. Look at that, hands up all over. Let me pray for you, brothers and sisters. God, I pray for those right now who would admit, who would admit they need something new inside of them. They need something to grow inside of them. God, I need this in me. I pray that your spirit would come and take us to whole new levels, God. Speak to us, God. Give us eyes, give us ears. I pray for your grace over one and all in this room. In Jesus' strong name, together we say, amen. Amen.